James. Hey, Duncan. How are you, dude? Um, well, thanks, mate. How are you going? Love Touch, it's podcast. Somehow we've both been busy. It's, <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> that COVID uh, and social isolation, which is different in New South Wales where James is, somehow means I've got less control over my time, despite being able to do less things. There's well, just we a went- whole lot of unseeable stuff that keeps popping its head up. We went through this in our last unscheduled podcast, <laughs> which I thought was quite interesting. Mm, it was. Anyways, today's one is called Unleashing Human Potential, which is uh, the sort of impetus or the inspiration was from a podcast with Jeff Hunter called Embracing Confusion on the Knowledge Project. And I thought I'd ask this, James, if, if we wore bags over our heads and so you couldn't see what we looked like and we went back and we met 20-year-old ourselves so that they didn't know it was us, but you could only see their mind, right? That's all you could see. You couldn't hear them talking or whatever. Do you reckon that we would recognize ourselves? Do you reckon 20-year-old us would recognize 36-year-old us, or do you reckon that it would be unrecognizable? I'm almost at the persuasion that we wouldn't even need bags over our heads. (laughs) So that's, Um, yeah. yeah. No, no, not a chance in hell. No way. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I suppose yeah here's I, another here's another question for you Duncan if you hmm. walked into if you were not anticipating it and 20 year old Duncan with a bag on his head crossed your path would you recognize yourself oh interesting I don't know the answer um so I suppose what I'd say is that I think that what I was as a 20 year old is still inside of me somewhere parts of it but it now makes up like a single digit percentage of who I am so I like to think that I've grown um, and learned significantly uh, and that I'm not like, I don't know, a different person, if that makes sense. Like I haven't totally changed. I've just grown to the point of where my old self is, is, is a tiny portion of my current self. Uh, and so that I'm unrecognizable in effect. Um, and so the, the point of this thing was called like unleashing human potential. And so I think if I look at it, like I did well academically at school and at university, but I don't think I had unleashed any human potential when I was 20. <laughs> I was kind of more having programming done to me by others. And so if it was unleashing my personal potential, I was going to upgrade it by others, not unleashing potential. Does that make sense? It was like existing potential being replicated into me by others. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, but I think if you look at the, like, the, the meta path of a human being, right? So... That like for me, like the human experience is all about growth. Like physically, like you see, you know, a child comes into the world and there's this small little mushy thing that can't even bend for itself, all the way through to when it grows into a fully realized adult. So for me, like there's this this, this long stage transition that happens as you continue to grow. Where in the beginning, like you you are you are mostly nurtured in a sense that like. You know, you are a vessel for knowledge and experiences, and that kind of just gets, uh, you know, <laughs> and um, like you know, thrust upon you, so to speak. But then, when you are old enough, when you have enough of a foundation that you've developed, um, you know, through those experiences, you can start to self-actualize. So I think twenty-year-old Duncan was at that precipice where he's like, "All right, I've had enough of you guys telling me." what this is all about. I think I'm finally ready to go and make some of my own choices on what I think is, um, you know, the path that I want to take. Would that be fair? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it was that. So 
I feel that, um, well, there's a, there's a really nice quote that I like from Bertrand Russell. Make your interests gradually wider and more impersonal until bit by bit the walls of the ego recede and your life becomes increasingly merged with the universal life. And I would say that I wasn't trying to make my interest wider when I was 20. I wasn't trying to do anything. I suppose I was just treading down the path which was laid out in front of me. And I assumed that if I did a good job of that, I would earn more money. And if I did a bad job, I'd earn less money. And the goal was to be rich, right? <laughs> so I wasn't making my interests wider. I was just following the path. Um, and to me, I think I would feel really lucky that when I was 22, I accidentally discovered the love of learning post my you know, university degree. <laughs> um, and that, that kind of put me on a different path because then I was learning for fun, not learning to get grades, learning because it was interesting, not learning to earn more money, if you know what I mean. And then I think I started to have my interests be self-chosen as opposed to I'm interested in being rich <laughs> or something, right? Uh, and so to me, I didn't realize that, that again, like I, I think I've grown, like I look the same, I'm the same height, I'm roughly the same weight, you know, I've got a lot more gray hair. But I think if you were to look at my mind, it is unrecognizable from what it was at 20, despite my physiology being highly recognizable. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I like the, it, first of all, that quote was very philosophical, even for you, Duncan, but I really, <laughs> really like it. Um, it kind of like takes this path of like, you know, what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? So like knowledge, if you're, you know, if you're someone who believes that there are things out there that are factually, um, you know, true, uh, you know, accurate or true, kind of like this idea of facts versus ideas. Mm. Um, then you know, one can see themselves as just simply acquiring knowledge over time. But wisdom, I think, is this intuit intuitive perspective of you appreciating that you know maybe we truly don't know anything at all. But like that kind of like lends us to wanting to be much more open to more experiences, more ways of thinking. Uh, and uh, how we navigate ourselves through that. Hmm. I think I sort of sometimes think of life in three phases. You're bored and then you're mainly defined by your biology. And there are different things. I think if, if you've had, I don't know, dogs growing up, you can see even we had um, one of my dogs had a litter. Uh, so like, you know, lots of little baby dogs and there were eight baby dogs, same mother, same father, same gestation. And the actual differences in their like personalities was incredible like stark as hell <laughs> james has got two daughters same mother same father but massively different personalities from you know right at the beginning i think is fair to say uh so biology matters uh, and uh, and you are sort of different set points then nurture then so what's around you and then the third phase is what i call self-authoring and I don't think that I began self-authoring or building myself into what I wanted to be until I was 22. I think it was initially biology, then it was nurture. What's my family like? What does the school say? What does society say? But I only started self-authoring when I was 22. And frankly, I think a lot of people don't really self-author that much. Hmm. Well, I mean, like, this goes back to previous conversations we've had around schooling where... Um, and I, I think, you know, for the most part, there's your education and then there's your family upbringing. And like maybe it's somewhere in between that, whether like things like critical thinking and, you know, having the, the action of questioning yourself, what is it that you want to learn? Maybe that those aren't natural phenomena. Maybe those do need to be taught. 
uh, because I don't think I ever once learnt in school like how to think <laughs> or, or you know anything beyond like you know here's the textbook memorize every page and you might do well <laughs> enough on the test right yeah. um I, I I do credit my uh, my parents to I think doing the best they could with what they had um, to give me some kind of like you know um, you know foundation of there being this semblance of you know you have the ability to control your own reality right so you know things don't have meaning it's the meaning we ascribe to things that we that are up to us to decide um, and like you know there's plenty of anecdotes that my my old man would have given me you know in times past but there's no specifically direct um, you know communication of like when you are presented with with information like here's how you can approach it critically here's how you can think for yourself and here's how you can decide what it is that you find compelling for you to want to learn more about and how you can go about that so i think um we've slowly gotten um you know uh, more productive or industrialized and so we've replaced human power for machines uh you know a lot of that with carbon fuels which we hopefully will get to renewable ones but, you know, it used to be that everyone had to be doing farming all day, every day, or hunting and gathering, or else you starved to death. <laughs> so the population was <laughs> as much as we could catch food. There wasn't like they made a decision to, to have less. It was literally as many humans as we can sustain from the food. Uh, and, you know, when it was hunter-gatherers, it was sort of like half a, half a billion people. And then as they got agrarian societies, and they could farm, whatever, potatoes and animals, they actually got more productive. So the population went up. And now in Australia, 1.3% of people do farming but they actually export food, right? So that means that the rest of us are freed of workers from needing to be farmers or hunter-gatherers. And so it basically, um, the human potential was just physical <laughs> abilities, right? But we're slowly going up. Uh, we've mm, gone from, mm. I don't know, barbarians to civilized. Um, we've gone from murdering each other and, you know, sleeping outside to, why is the air conditioning slightly too cold? It's, it's half a degree <laughs> cold in here. Does anyone feel that? I swear to God, it's half a degree too cold. Um, and I suppose the point is, is that I don't think it was possible in hunter-gatherer times to really unleash potential, which mm. I sort of think gives your mind. Your body is limited. Your mind is limitless. Mm. Um, and to me, I don't think my mind was unleashed potential, if that makes sense, which I think the ability to give itself new abilities yeah. or innovation before I was 22, the improvements to my mind were done as external program upgrades by school or university. So I hadn't unleashed my potential. My potential was increased, but it was you know, programmed by others, not unleashed. Mm. And I think that's mm. occurred now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this comes uh, full circle to Jeff Hunter's kind of like soliloquy around this idea of untapped human potential. Mm. The examples that he goes through are much more in the workplace. Um, but one of the things that he prescribes is that everyone has greatness in them. So, firstly, like Duncan, do you think that's do you think that's fair? Do you think everyone has untapped potential in them and the potential uh, to be great? So, if you look at people that are born, um, there are some people that are born with a mental uh, handicap, uh, you know, so that it's, it's very difficult to overcome, like Down syndrome or something. Um, but if you look at a lot of the research, and there's different researchers, uh, I don't know, uh, Joe Bowler is a, a Stanford um, education professor, that there are biological differences, but they believe that they are insignificant versus the upgrades that one can do to oneself. Mm. So to me, that I believe, yes, people do have slightly different start points. Now, most people are you know, born similar, and then there are some people, unfortunately, with an impediment. Uh, 
but that ultimately your mind in the ways that matter is unlimited. Uh, so untapped potential. So greatness, you want to call it that. And one of the things is that our minds get leveraged now, whether it's through computers doing crunching or whether it's through a machine doing the manufacturing. You come up with an idea, you'd have to actually make the thing. You know, you make a factory yeah. that makes it. Um, so our minds have more and more leverage than before. And to me, the most important things are things like creativity, innovation, communication, empathy. Mm. Um, and that those things, I think, are effectively um, un- uncapped. So I believe it is possible to build greatness from yourself, but mm. it's not in there, if that makes sense. Yeah. It has latent potential, which you could upgrade yourself to be able to get to, mm. as opposed to like letting it out of its cage. You need to yeah. build it um, from the raw materials given to you. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think if we prescribe to this, right, that let's say, save for a few exceptions, um, if we prescribe to the notion that everyone has the potential to be great, that could then completely change the way in which we approach, not just like how people are in the workplace, but how we engage with people in general. Because like what um, Jeff Hunter uses is, you know, when you see someone at, um, at work, we'll use as an example, who just isn't performing, your, your, your mind tends to, and this is the way he ex- described it as, just prescribing them as either bad, stupid, or lazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> But uh, if you were to change your foundational belief, which is this person has this untapped potential in them, then maybe it's not that they're just bad, stupid or lazy, but maybe that they're, um, they're not being managed appropriately or they're not being given the right tool in order for them to be able to tap into that potential. And so what I really enjoyed about listening to Jeff Hunter is that this completely changes the way in which you view working with people, whether you are in a role where you have to manage uh, these individuals. But I just think in general, like in life, when you come across individuals where, you know, they may be, um, you know, plateaued in their life or they may not be living up to, um, you know, their ideals, you can see, well, if this person did have the potential in them, what would they need in order for that to help um, realize that? You know, for like for yourself, Duncan, and myself, I think, we were able to self-actualize, and I, I would count that as a, um, you know, not not uh, luck, but like you know, maybe a gift in a sense. But I don't think, and I think you mentioned this earlier, not everyone has that ability to just you know turn themselves on, like you know, reach around the back and switch, uh, turn on the switch. Sometimes people need a little bit more guidance in terms of how they can reach that potential. Would that be fair? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think. Yes, definitely. Everyone you can help guidance, but I suppose the unleashing part from, from my definition is where you can guide yourself or you can effectively improve yourself. Uh, so as an example, like physicists today, the biology is the same as it was 200 years ago, or even they say, you know, 10,000 years ago. Yeah. But what a physicist today can do is wildly different. And that's because we've learned a lot about physics. Uh, so, we, you know, we know about quantum mechanics or something. So we can make transistors, so we can make computers, and then we can make computers, so then we can design rockets. And we've got better at manufacturing. So now we can go and build rockets to Mars, right? Whereas there was, it just wasn't possible 200 years ago to build a rocket to Mars. Now, that's not because biologically we're different to 200 years mm. ago. Mm. It's because the tools that we have, so like in terms of language, in terms of computers, and a computer is just language actualized into a computer, if you ask me, has fundamentally changed. And so when you accept this, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So whatever, my great-great-grandparents are biologically indifferent to who I am. Mm, yeah. But the ability for what I can get done is otherworldly 
So seriously, like what you can do today, they didn't even, that was beyond what the gods could do. Like, you know, uh, you know the, the best you know, imagination could come up with some of the stuff we've come up with today. And that's because we have unleashed human potential. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think, you know, it, it feels strange like, oh, you know, it was the same for my parents when they were little. Like, no, it wasn't. 10 years ago, they invented the iPhone. Can you honestly remember a time before you had a phone and the internet everywhere? Like I, 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 I sort of can, but you know, it's, you know. So to me, um, the world is fundamentally different than what it was. I.e., human potential has been unleashed. But I don't think I knew that. Like I, I didn't have any concept of that when I was twenty. Yeah. Oh, and to to be able to appreciate that too uh, requires another set of mental gymnastics that is just uh, you know astounding when you think about it. I, I really enjoyed Tim Urban's uh, you know anecdote of when he talked about you could go back 10,000, I think he said even up to 50,000 years ago, you know, pluck a child out of the, um, the local village and bring them to today's world and raise them as if they were a normal child of today. And so that kind of like goes to your point that like we are running on the same hardware, like our hardware is, um, let's just say 50,000 years old. And you know, you've got a, a Mac computer that is two years old, that's painful. Because <laughs> someone's got the new model and I don't have the new model and it's really <laughs> got the touch bar. <laughs> but we, we're running on a 50,000 year old Mac, but yeah. it's con- we're constantly updating the software that is being run on it, which is, um, you know, which is incredible when you think about it. But going back to your other point, like, so, you know, I think about my children who are growing up in a world where information is not only abundant but readily available at the, at the touch of their fingers right they have you know um you know exposure to technology that is just like in like it's insane to think about how that would have affected our life when we were the same age and um you know all of the things that are different about it so like they're going to be growing up in a very different world and like one of the things i try to espouse is like you know i i feel like knowledge or you know what you need to know is redundant because <laughs> you've got Google right there. So it I kind don't of agree like, with that, but anyways, keep going. Well, I'm like, I'm being overly simplistic here. You do need to have knowledge um, at a foundational level, no, no question. But what I'm trying to um, suggest is that what's more important is um, how you think, not what you think, I should say. Um, because I feel like that's what's going to help them navigate in a world where, you know, it's not a shortage of information that's the challenge anymore. It's that you have too much information and you need to be able to um, know how to work your way through that. Uh, I think my definition of unleashing human potential is where you can give yourself more potential. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, like I, I didn't know that. Uh, so that's what I call self-authoring. It's not like, oh, now I have to apply to the university degree and I have to do the subject and at the end of it, I'll have more potential. Well, hopefully you do, you know, if the degree is any good, right? But that's not the only route. So I didn't know that I could give myself potential. I didn't know that I could do this. And I think this is where the point of, and the title of the podcast called Embracing Confusion. Mm. I think mm. I used to think confusion was a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but now I think that for you to give yourself potential, you need to go from something that was confusing to something that you've clarified and you've therefore built yourself more skills or abilities and you've unleashed a bit more potential. So the, you need to find things that you're confused about or that don't make sense mm. and then puzzle your way through to a hopefully a better solution than whatever there exists now. Mm. And at the end of that, there'll be less confusion. 
So to me, I kind of thought good teaching involved no confusion. And I think actually that means giving people not just the question, but giving them the answer. And that isn't helping them learn, that's helping them memorize. And they're very different. And to me, I now view confusion done well, not confusion followed by thinking, followed by no, you know, still exactly the same amount of confusion. <laughs> not good, right? <laughs> but if, if you're trying to learn yourself, you need to be able to take areas where you were confused and then get there to be less confusion. So in, in other words, if you want to unleash human potential in yourself or others, you need to get good at embracing confusion. Mm. So um, so to, to bring this back to the message that, um, that Jeff was uh, delivering, and this is one of my favorite parts, um, that he was talking about, which is, so in order for you to uh, level yourself up, um, he would say, you want to get confused. Uh, and the reason behind it is because when you are in a state of confusion, that is when you are now um, at a crossroad between all of your entrenched or unconscious beliefs, because you don't actually know that you hold them, uh, are now being met with reality and they're not um, meeting up to those expectations. So he would say, confusion helps guide you to realize where there are insufficiencies in your mental model. And so by working your way through that confusion, uh, whether it is like, you know, clarifying with the other person who went, who shared that experience, or whether it is figuring out what the problem is that you need to solve, uh, that is how you can upgrade your thinking he would say. And that's something I really, really, really um, love and admire because kind of like to what you said, Duncan, uh, I think, you know, in school and in my earlier years, I would think confusion was a sign of weakness or a bad thing because it may be meant that I was stupid or maybe meant that I was um, you know, ignorant of what was really going on. But what really it is, is an opportunity for me to be able to up-level myself. And so having that approach makes me want to lean into those moments rather than try to avoid them. Yeah, I'd um, change the word. I think the choice of words is, is, is really important and words come with embedded meaning. Um, confusion is, is negative meaning. Like if confusion is like you don't understand. Um, and so to me, I would say embracing problem solving is what it should be Maybe as opposed surprise. to embracing <laughs> being given the solution. So mm. I would say that a lot of the existing education system is going, here's the problem and here's the solution. Mm. Whereas unleashing yourself is you found a problem and then you need to figure out the solution yourself. And what that's doing is going from not knowing what the solution is, AKA confusion, to figuring out a solution yourself. But I think in my opinion, confusion is the, not the, the optimal word to use mm. because it's associated with, I would say, a whole lot of negative connotations which are, which are, which are unhelpful. Yeah. So to me, what you try to do, I think, is build people's ability to unleash potential themselves, which is also known as they're given a problem and then they can figure out a solution, right? Mm. Mm. You don't want to give them a problem and the solution because that doesn't help them unleash potential on themselves. They might have more potential at the end, but it's yeah. potential that you've programmed into them. Yeah. So to me, well, I think you need to embrace letting people solve problems, even if you know what you think the solution is. If you um, don't allow them the opportunity to try to solve it, you rob them of the ability to build their problem-solving skills and i.e. their ability to unleash potential in themselves. So I would say confusion done well is, po is potential unleashment in yourself or unit of problem-solving ability. But the, the confusion and unleashing potential are kind of oxymorons in some respects to me. 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to go with embracing surprise. <laughs> Instead of oh, I think surprise is different because it's coming. It's like embracing the unknown to turn it into the known. Okay, that's a good, that's a good one. Yeah, embracing unknown. So one of the things, so one of my favorite mental models of all time that I find helped me through this, but also in explaining to other people, is actually one that you gave me, Duncan. Uh, and I don't oh. know how to um, you know, how to label it. I call it the, the 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 levels of comprehension. And at the very top, you have an area, and within the area, you have problems. Within problems, you have solutions. And within solutions, you have execution. And so, as you work your way through, like a particular area is you know someone who is the CEO of a company, or Duncan who has you know um, high school education as an area. But once you're at that level you suddenly need to figure out what are the problems. And so for me, this is where I find a lot of people struggle. If you, sorry, if you work your way from the bottom up, anyone can execute, not anyone, but people feel at their most... Uh, hey, I just, I'll just explain something. The, the model is problem, solution, how, execution, or P-S-H-E. Um, and they talk about the different levels of responsibility or the problem things. So I think James is trying to explain the different levels, but it's good to just get the context. Of that. All right. Well, I'll go with the one uh, the way I've I've now um, molded it to my own level of thinking. Then, but like, if you have um, you know additional uh, inputs on it, that'll be great. But for me, at the level of execution, the solution's already been defined. It's like here is um, how. You can, you know, here's this textbook that we need to make for high school students to level themselves up. Go and make this textbook and someone will just execute. But if you go up to the next level, it's like we have a very clearly defined problem, which is textbooks today are not good enough for us to teach students how to think better. So we need someone to figure out what is the solution for this problem. But for me, when you go from solution to problem, when you now do not have a clearly defined problem, I find it is very hard for people. It's kind of like what you said, Duncan. Teaching done well is not letting people be, not letting people solve their own problems. It's giving people the answer. Whereas I think what you should do is let people solve their own problems. Let people figure out what the problem is first and then um, arrive at a solution. Yeah, I think um, don't rob people the opportunity to get better at problem solving. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is, I think, called embracing confusion, right? It can feel like if somebody doesn't know what to do, that you need to help them because you're, I don't know, you've been more experienced and you, you've seen that you know, situation and you've got a strong you know, thoughts mm. on what to do. And that might get you a better outcome immediately there, but you, you get short-term win, long-term pain. So if the goal is to unleash human potential, then and that is defined in my, my here that you can improve yourself or you can increase your own potential you then need to have people allowed to be getting better at not knowing what to do and then figuring out what to do yeah and so to me there's two sort of things um you either have optimizing for people growth or getting something done so if you've got a short-term deadline that's you know you're going to miss it if you don't do this then you just get it done but if you don't have a deadline then you optimize for people's growth and that's actually the long-term way to optimize for the growth of the company because the more potential your people have, the more your company can do. And that means less done in the short term because you're giving people the space to not know what to do and to flail about the place as they figure it out. Um, and so to me, it's weird. It's like if you want to optimize the long-term output of your company or yourself, you've got to give them the time 
to flail or to problem solve, even if you know and have a good thoughts on what to do, you're robbing mm. them of the ability to increase their potential. Mm. And that's such a hard trade-off because when, you know, timing is of the essence, and I feel like most times it is, it's really either an important factor or like a do or die factor. <laughs> it's never um, so much as irrelevant, I feel. Um, releasing the need for you to come in and, you know, almost relieve yourself of the pain because to see someone else struggle through, um, you know, a problem, which is, is probably indirectly impacting you in some way, whether it's because you don't want to see them struggle or whether it's like you are actually, um, you know, dependent on this person to solve the problems so that it, you can, you know, continue with um, your own work. But like giving them this opportunity is what I would posit as necessary for them to be able to grow into, um, you know, what their potential could possibly be. So uh, yeah, it's a very, very difficult trade-off, but I think it's one that's um, done well when people give people the space to figure out for themselves. Mm. I think basically like, you know, it started a company, <laughs> uh, it's sink or swim. Uh, and so as an example, you don't become Jeff Bezos by being promoted to CEO of Amazon. You build Amazon from scratch. You don't become whatever. Mark Zuckerberg, by being promoted to being CEO of Facebook, you build Facebook from scratch. And I think that, you know, a lot of startups fail. <laughs> um, and part of that is, you know, you just don't solve enough problems in the time that you're given. So if, if I look back on, say, my university degree, I feel like they're kind of judged almost by the amount of potential that they can give to you. <laughs> so how much potential is it being increased? You have, right? not how much potential have you been able to give to yourself. So mm. if I was going to sort of judge a, a, a university degree or a manager, it'd be how much have you improved somebody's potential to give to themselves, not how much has their potential gone up that mm. you've done to them. And so fostering the environment where you're optimizing for people being able to give potential to themselves is ultimately, I think, the, 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 the ultimate gift because that's the gift that gives all gifts. It's whatever you want to do. And I just, as an early manager, the best helper equals the best manager. No, the best <laughs> potential giver that they give to themselves is the best manager. Mm. And so I was almost doing what I consider to be now the exact wrong strategy, but I, I was trying hard to be good. Yeah. Like, if I was to look at my, back at my own experience at university, I could definitely, uh, from my Part, split it into two groups. One was the, the standard degree that I did in commerce and philosophy, and then there was the honours degree which I did um, uh, afterwards. And for me, like to be perfect, to be as frank as I can, I would say that the standard degree, at least today, is almost entirely worthless. Um, <laughs> not, oh, I'm serious. Other than it being a a record that proves that I can think and you know perform at a certain level all of the knowledge that i acquired save for some of the philosophy stuff that i did i'd say uh, had almost zero value <laughs> um but for me the the honors degree was it and it still is immensely valuable and the reason and the difference between the two is the honors degree was a, a year where you were simply tasked with you had to define an area that you were going to bring new knowledge to, right? You were told, here's an area, go and research it and write about it. It is, okay, 
you have to write about something, you have to figure out what you're going to write about, and then you have to go deep in that area and you have to figure out for yourself how you're going to do that. And I got to say, I struggled for about the first four months of the, of the year in figuring out just the start of that uh, journey and going and sitting in that discomfort, sitting in that, um, that place of I have no effing idea on how to even approach this meant that I had to figure out a way to overcome that and then be able to move through it for the remainder of the year and, and bring in this new body of knowledge. I found that to be such a powerful uh, you know, experience in shaping how I was able to approach problems from that point onwards. Totally. Um, okay, so I think, so the masters is just, I think you're writing a sort of 10,000 word, you know, masters doc, mm. uh, where you had to figure out what the problem is, mm. and then you mm -hmm. had to solve the problem. Mm. So there's two parts here. So I think that's what we sort of, I, I believe, optimize for at Rollo is one, look, the problem space is secondary education. Now find a, a way to improve that. So people have to think that now, now you found a way, okay, textbooks as an example, how do we do textbooks better? Um, and to me, the biggest problem is figuring out what the problem is. Uh, yeah. I find it easier to make progress on the problem but not, it's harder for me to figure out what that problem is. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, like you don't get good at anything without deliberate practice. So if you're a good manager or you're a good whatever, educator, and I, I think the same thing, you're building people's potential. And the ultimate potential is their potential to add potential to themselves, which I think we can define here as the ability to find problems, not to be given problems, and the ability to solve those problems by themselves. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be there to help and work collaboratively, but a good manager doesn't give you the problem to solve and the solution and then says, go do it, you know, repetitively 10 times. It's a very different thing. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. For me, defining the problem is the hardest part of the journey. It's, it's very similar to what we, we do at Digital Ventures, where even when we have a, a corporate partner who has signed on uh, and is willing to pay um, the inordinate amount of uh, fees to have us come and build a new venture with them. The problem is not necessarily even defined yet. And so we will start by going through a very, very uh, you know, in-depth and detailed um, methodical approach to, uh, un, you know, to defining that. But like you've got this point where there is so much ambiguity, there is so much uncertainty that a lot of people struggle in that you have to be able to um you know not just place yourself within but you know work your way through in terms of getting to a point where you can say now we all understand what the problem is that we need to solve and a lot of people i find struggle with that level of uncertainty like once you have a defined problem and you mm -hmm. can start just um solutioning and executing a lot of people i, I see uh are more comfortable in that area but defining the problem first, I think, is, is why it's so important to have this as a muscle that we constantly work on, why we need to have more things around creative and critical thinking, uh, because this is where I find to be the highest level of value that you can bring when you're looking at your mm. potential. I think James talked about his, his um, thesis or master's thesis as, as a, you know, I think maybe a step change. Like before that, mm. you hadn't had to define the problem. Mm. You'd always yeah. be given the problem. Yep. And 
even I'd say a lot of my schooling it was here's the problem and here's the solution. Now just repeat that, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then sometimes it was here's the problem. Now figure out the solution. So a formative one for me was they they gave us a problem. They said design a single engine plane uh, that has to carry things and go ahead and do it. And I was like, what do you mean? Like you got to tell us how to design the plane. You got to do this other <laughs> stuff. And I was like, no. Nah. And I remember being like. Design a plane, and so literally at the time it was two thousand and three or so. So I went to the library. I didn't go, and we just got books out on from the engineering library on planes and all the specs and all the other things, and effectively piece stuff together to be able to do it. And at the end of it, I was like, we didn't design the engine. We just designed that. Like, this is the wings, and this is the shape of the, the wings, and you know it was a fixed sort of wing thing. And I remember thinking, this plane would. I reckon it would fly. There's no way I would get in it and, and fly, but I was actually like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I reckon it's going to fly. Um, and, and I went, like, I think it took, I can't remember, like six weeks or something. Not that we weren't working on it full time, but I, it, was, it was easily the most amount of problem solving I had done at that time. So if there's two things, figuring out the problem and then solving the problem. This was literally like, you've learned some basic things about forces and whatever, vectors, etc. Now go design a plane. Uh, I'm like, uh... There's a slight skills gap here <laughs> called <laughs> everything. <laughs> um, and, and, but, but what it did is, is it ridded me of the fear that I couldn't do this. And so I remember saying, like, now if you told me to go and design an iPhone, I'd be like, it's going to take a long ass time and it was going to be a much worse version of the iPhone. Like, it'd probably take me 10 years, but I, could, I reckon I could do it, right? Whereas before I was like, no way, you know? <laughs> and so... I think maybe there were these formative experiences, like literally binary, where you changed your view. You went from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. To like, yeah, I know I've got no if and idea, mm. but so what? You know, only one way to figure things out. Um, so for me, I I would almost I would posit that, um, okay, go and design an engine or a, a plane, or go and design the iPhone is already a defined problem. Mm, so definitely, I'm talking about the second half, problem yeah. solving. So the, the 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 level up from that is like, what's next? Like, go and design what is the next uh, thing that's going to um, you know bring even more um, you know services to the world than an iPhone does, mm. because that's when you need to sit in a, a place that is completely undefined, and that's where I think you know that's why companies like Apple are uh, as valuable to the world as they are because. Um, you know, it took a number of visionaries, not just Steve Jobs, to appreciate. Because, like, one of my favourite stories was um, the, the 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 Android team were like weeks away or months away from releasing the first Android phone, but then the iPhone came out, and they said, like, we have to stop everything because the it was still built on the old world thinking of what a smartphone was. Uh, and then iPhone came and just completely blew them out of the water. And they said, like, we, we can't release this Android phone. It's just going to be dead in the water because of the iPhone's um, like step shift change in what a phone is now. And so, like, it's that level of um, thinking that, you know, someone can bring into the world something like an iPhone that never existed in its, in its form beforehand um, to completely change the way in which we think about, um, you know, what, what, a, what it actually means to be a phone. Uh, and so, like that kind of problem solving, I find like is you know is one of the greatest things that you can try and help people tap into to level up their way of thinking. I think so. The, the world's changing faster than ever before, um, 
And so 200 years ago, there were 400 jobs. Now there's half a million and sort of growing. Um, I believe that now I make my job. Uh, like I've got a job title, but what, what does that mean? Like, I don't know. My job description is just a question mark. Like, what, what am I doing tomorrow? I have no idea, right? <laughs> um, like, I have an idea, but I, I guarantee you it's wrong. Like, <laughs> like the, the best that I could guess one day out is maybe 50%. <laughs> like, that's how much stuff shifts. Uh, and so in this world where all repetitive tasks, physical and mental, get replaced by machines, this actually frees humans from mundane jobs, you know, f- sort of farming by hand, you know, cleaning or something. So which jobs are going away? The bad jobs. Which jobs are coming? you know, good new jobs. The difference is that you need <laughs> quote unquote more skills to do them, right? So previously you could get trained on in one day and be helping add value, right? Uh, so that the amount of, I don't know, problem solving, ability to define the problem and ability to solve the problem needed is, is higher and higher. So there's no shortage of jobs. <laughs> there's a shortage of skills of people that are able to do them. And so if this is the case, that everything is going to be basically invention or create, creation, then the two key parts are defining the problem and solving the problem. Yeah. Then it's the problem is scaled through machines, right? And yeah. I would argue that I learned close to stuff all about defining the problem and solving the problem from school. I got good grades and I was you know, being good for jobs 100 years ago when the school system was built. But those repetitive jobs are, yeah. are being replaced by the machines. And so to me, this is like the only way to be future-proof uh, is to basically be able to give yourself new potential or to unleash your own ability to give yourself potential. Mm. And I think that you can you systematically do that. It's like the first derivative. It's not about getting skills. It's about the ability to get skills or to give yourself skills. Mm. And just as James talked about his th- master's thesis was a step shift for him, in the second part for me, which is ability to solve the problem, that, that like making a plane, after that, I was like, well, I can... Whatever, I, I, you know, it'll take a long time and it might be very good, but I can do it. And so this is the shift. Mm. Yeah. So like for me, like one of the things that we point to here is when we come to this realization that we need to start thinking about how we can encourage creative thinking. Like, you know, you mentioned it before, Duncan. Like, I don't know what tomorrow brings and I'm confident that my inclinations are going to be wrong. <laughs> but um, if we're if we're moving towards a world where that kind of thinking actually needs to be encouraged, because that's how you create a a culture of creative thinking and and uh, critical thinking, um, it almost has to change from the ground up. And the the challenges I see is that we're brought up in a world where you know there's right or wrong, and you don't want to be wrong. Like if you get something wrong on a test, you get marked down. And so we're almost taught from a very early age that being incorrect in any way is a bad thing. Whereas in order for us to be able to put ourselves in a situation where it is very ambiguous and we have to be able to sit with the problem, uh, I like from my understanding and from my experience is that you have to be willing to get it wrong a number of times and experiment and you know lean into that kind of process because that's the you know that's what creative thinking does it like it comes up with a whole bunch of ideas and maybe nine out of ten of them don't work out but you have to move through those nine to get to that one at the end and so it's like how do we change ourselves from a world in which we were taught uh, in the beginning like you know if you got you know seven out of ten on a test then you you know you don't perform well 
um, or as well as others. Whereas if you try 10 times to solve a problem and you get it right once, then you know that's to be um, commended, that's to be respected. Mm. So I'd say that if you're talking about in a work context, I think good managers build in others the ability for them to upgrade themselves. Mm. Good managers don't upgrade others. So that's a really big difference. Um, if you're talking about what that means, the ability for someone to upgrade themselves means that one, they can figure out a problem to solve and two, they can then solve that problem by themselves. So if you're a manager, you go, here's a problem to solve, now go figure it out. And then if they're really, you know, there's some flailing or confusion is needed for them to figure something out. It's called figuring it out. If <laughs> Once you figure that out, it's, you, it's, you know, you would do it in a lot less time. So it might take, I think, Jamie, like 10 units of time to, to figure it out. But now you've figured it out. It only took one unit of execution, but it took nine units of problem solving, right? <laughs> uh, so that's one. And the second one is giving people a space and saying, figure out the problem. So as an example, I might say, what is required to get your team to the next level? And so this is the space. So they're like, oh, okay. And then they figure out and they go through and they're like, oh, whatever else it is. Uh, and so then they're like, okay, well, our relationships need to get stronger. I'm like, okay, well, how do you do that? And you go, uh, okay. So to me, good managers are building, one, people's ability to solve problems and two, people's ability to figure out problems. And I, I didn't understand that. And bad managers are telling people what problems to solve or telling people what the solutions to problems are. Mm, mm. So, um, so Jeff describes management as the act of achieving goals through others. And I can totally see how anyone in that position could interpret it um, one way or the other based on the way you just described it. Whether it is just like giving people stuff to do and making sure they do it versus giving people the space to figure out for themselves how they're going to solve these problems and be able to execute on that. Um, and I thought what uh, what he described as the enterprise clarity model, so that maybe this is just another mental model of how to, like I think, provide that, is, is, is really helpful because it kind of like starts at the top, which is like, as a manager, you need to give people clarity on what the goals are, right? So what are our objectives here? Um, you need to measure how you get there, and you need to provide a diagnostic loop of feedback to make sure that they understand where they're um, performing well and where they're um, still areas for improvement. But I think throughout all of this is kind of like what you have outlined is this implicit understanding that as a manager, you don't step in and, you know, give them the answer or, you know, micromanage. You give them the space for them to be able to, um, you know, perform this themselves. Like I think it's, really just about giving people the clarity and the why and then let them figure out the how. Yeah, definitely. And I think school um, isn't, isn't set up this way. Um, yeah. So again, it was designed uh, typically in the late 1800s by well-meaning people trying to make factory workers, right? Uh, the world is different uh, now. Uh, and so the goal, I think, is that they give you all the problems. Here's the math problem. Here's the English prompt. Here's the whatever. And then they give you all the solutions, right? <laughs> and then they say, learn them, wrote learn them. Now, regurgitate on cue. You know, here's the if-then statement, memorize it, now replay. Um, and to me, this has, I think, increasingly less to do with the way that the modern world is. Mm. Uh, many, many jobs today don't have time pressure. 
uh, you know, if you're in a factory, you're good at things. So as an example with Ed Rollo, we're making textbooks at the moment. It's not necessarily about making the textbook in five units of time or two units of time. It's about making a great textbook because we can then print however many of them. Like we hope to print hundreds of thousands of these things, right? <laughs> uh, so, so that means that it really is, obviously you can't run out of money, but it's not about making the cheapest textbook, it's about making the best textbook. Yeah. And the best textbook has leverage. So spending twice as long to make a textbook that's like 15% better is fine if you print 100,000 of them. You know, it's actually a really good use of time. And I think with James's job, you're trying to problem solve for a company, right? Like the solution or the ability to define the, the problem or the job to be done in, in Clayton Christensen speak, and then a solution is far better than, than oh my God, we did it in, in, you know, two months versus one month. Yeah. Like the, the, the leverage is huge. So with the machines coming along, it used to be that all jobs timeliness was like a crucial, like possibly the most important factor, <laughs> how long you take to do something, right? Yeah. Now, we're in a world where how long you take to do something doesn't matter. It's how good you do something. The quality is what matters. It shifts from rote learn solutions to you need to figure out what the problem is and you need to figure out how to solve the problem. Mm. Mm. I, I just came up with, um, uh, I, want, I have an anecdotal solution uh, for creating a litmus test on whether we think a particular school is heading in the right direction when it comes to moving away from rote learning and more towards creative problem solving. Uh, and this litmus test is basically, so I'm sure you remember, Duncan, when you would do your, your final math test and on the very last page, you would be presented with a, a, a problem that was not covered in the text. And so you just wait outside the test room and you just listen to everyone coming out the door and you just measure the level of complaints of people saying, what the hell was that test question on the last page? We never covered that in any of the classes. This is absolute like, BS kind of thing. <laughs> because that is exactly where you can see people who were trained to think in rote learning um, ways struggling when they're confronted with a problem that they haven't been faced with before. So I would think <laughs> this is a really good opportunity for us to, to see just how, um, you know, how big the problem is when, when people struggle on a test, when they're presented with a problem that they haven't been presented with and like literally handheld their way through how to solve for it. Um, but I think like, one of the things that, um, you know, in Jeff Hunter's Embracing uh, Potential or Embracing Confusion talks about is, um, he says what he calls it operating at the level of design. And that is basically the goal is no longer to get the top score or to get the, um, the best result. The goal is to get better. Uh, and so the first part is like, if, is wanting to get better. Uh, and I think this kind of like talks back to, you know, what you keep talking about, Duncan, which is like, you know, running towards the unknown as opposed to trying to just you know stay in where you're comfortable and just creating the same feedback yeah i think given that most jobs are not most but more and more jobs are about you being able to figure out the problem to solve and solve the problem uh so i, I call that innovation it's like you know doing something that's not been done before right Mm. What matters then to me is the growth trajectory of somebody's potential, not where they are. And what makes, so hiring is therefore easier than managing. 
So a good manager is defined by how much they are help, able to help the growth trajectory of someone's ability to grow themselves. Not that the, the, the externally programmed in upgrades that the manager has done, but the ability for the employee or their direct to upgrade themselves, give, make new programs for themselves. And so, so this is what matters. If you want to help improve the world, if you want to you know, have a job that's more interesting, et cetera, you, what matters is your potential or your growth rate that you're giving to yourself. It's not about what's your professional development program. It's about can you have a culture and mm. a setup of a company which gives people the opportunity to quote unquote, you know, need to flail or to, to problem solve or confusion, uh, you know, that then allows their potential to go up. Now, there might be a place where you need to learn basic skills and there is some sort of rote learning required, but that is not in a, I would say, white collar job when you're 30 years old. <laughs> that might be in primary school or something. So, yeah, it's, it's a very different definition. A manager should, you know, it can be measured by how well they are able to change the trajectory of someone's growth and their growth is defined by how much growth they've given to themselves, not how much growth has been done to them by others. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I, I like how you, you, you make this distinction between learning and innovating. And I think it's kind of like, um, you know, has, uh, has consistencies across what we've been talking about. Like learning is like a manager saying like, you know, here's how we typically do things here. Um, you, need to be able to, you need to be able to do this as well. Uh, you haven't done it before, so we're going to help you get to a point where you can perform it um, like anyone else who has been in a similar position. Versus innovating, which is like, here's a problem space that we need to figure out, you know, collectively, or we need you to, um, you know, to take ownership of. But then in saying that, here is the space and here is the opportunity for you to um, be able to operate within so that you have the opportunity to you know, make bets or make create experiments or, you know, um, take through trial and error, this creative approach to problem solving. Um, and I think having that as a culture, something that's entrenched in the way in which you work, I think is, in, is incredibly important for you to help people unleash their potential as opposed to just becoming another, you know, line worker or someone who's just a, a carbon copy of anyone else in the organization. Mm. All right, summary time, because I got to get off to another meeting. Um, to me, yeah, what I thought uh, education was, was people increasing potential. And I believe in hindsight that I defined that by increased potential done to someone from external sources, from their teacher, from the university degree or whatever. And I thought that was the same for a manager. How much have you grown somebody? Mm. But I, I now think that education or whatever is the ability for people to do upgrades to themselves. Now, I think, again, when you're born, you actually, you teach yourself how to speak. That's some pretty hardcore learning, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and so, you know, first you learn to read, then you read to learn, you know, sort of thing. First you learn to speak, then you speak to learn. And um, as an example, like these discussions with James and I, um, we, I'm learning through it. Like by the end of this, I know more than I did at the beginning. It's not about an idea that I have that I'm trying to discuss with James and then we're trying to like decide whose idea is right or better. It's like, no, it's just a constant evolution. Yeah. Uh, and so to me, now there are some times where you do need to, to just help people because you're going to miss the deadline or something. And also you don't want people to lose their belief that they can upgrade themselves. Growth mindset, learn to help yourselfness. Uh, so to me, 
I believe that a good manager or a good friend, the purpose of a friend is to help you be better than you otherwise would be, Socrates, helps people believe in themselves and their ability to grow their own potential, to unleash their potential. And part of that is by giving people a problem to solve and then not giving them a solution. And then part of them is by helping them figure out problems to solve. Hmm. Um, and I didn't see that. Like I, I kind of thought 10 years ago that, that letting people flail about and not know what to do was the definition of a bad manager. And now my definition of a bad manager is a good manager and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what Jeff Hunter, uh, when, it, when talking about unleashing the human potential, what, what he would um, ex- express in this regard would be about embracing confusion. And I think so much of this comes back to, for me, it's not so much anymore about what you think, it's about how you think. And this is kind of like why I would consider my university degree redundant because all it did was focus on what I thought, right? All right, so here's a module on accounting, go. Here's a module on change management, go. Here's a module on whatever else. Whereas, um, you know, doing the masters, doing a thesis, completely um, addressed how I thought. And that was around being able to sit within a problem and figure it out. So for me, I, I think the, the way in which we can look into tapping into our potential has little to nothing to do about adding knowledge or giving people more information or what somebody thinks at any given time. For me, it's about changing the way um, that, or changing how we think and how we approach certain problems. And creating the space or the culture or the environment for that new way or for that different way of thinking to thrive. And I think that starts, you know, in schools, it will be much more helpful for, you know, the the Duncans and the James of the world to not have to unlearn how we thought when we were brought up at the ripe old age of 22, and then Mm -hmm. start um, only then start this new love of learning because we we change tact into how we thought. But if we could if we could do this earlier, I think we can tap into our potential as a human species much sooner. I think the manager of you know the workforce has an an immense opportunity to do this um, you know with the people they work with, and uh, to move away from someone who's just you know looking at control and risk management towards. How can they create the space for people to, you know, lean into their more creative um, faculty, uh, and then, um, you know, solve problems in a in a much more, um, you know, creative manner. Cool. All right. All right. Well, nice chatting, James. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Duncan. Peace, later. Bye.